Good morning. Good morning. I'm so honored and grateful to be here. Thankful that Rick asked me to speak to you. Uh, to those of you worshiping with us online in the sanctuary, I'm so glad you're here. Um, thank you for being here on Mother's Day. Man, you get a little star in your crown. It's Mother's Day. You're here. Good job. Um, I don't care how many times I see that video, I am not singing the Jesus Connection. <laughs> Although it was kind of a catchy little ditty, but never mind, we're just not going there. So uh, when Rick asked me to speak a couple weeks ago, and he said, Are you, you know, would you talk on Mother's Day? That would be nice to have a woman talk on Mother's Day to the body. And I said, yes, it would be an honor, and I'm, I'm glad to be here. But I'm not really going to talk about Mother's Day. Because as Rick alluded to, Mother's Day is just a whole bag of emotions. You know, we're talking about this total package series, and today we're going to be talking about emotions. And if there was ever a day when there were a bunch of emotions, it is Mother's Day because you can feel happy, you can feel sad, you can feel rejected, you can feel lonely, you can be disgusted. And you can feel all those things at one time. So all the men in your life are going, what is with her? I just don't know. It can all happen at one time. Emotions. And that's what I'm going to talk about today. So men, I already mentioned you're here. Good job. I frequently speak to women's groups. And it's Mother's Day. And Rick's not here to stop me. So I'm talking to the women today. You know how Rick sometimes says I'm talking to the men? I'm talking to the chicks. This is a chick sermon today. So if you're checking the scores on your phones or playing a game, you know, just put your earbuds in. If you sleep, don't snore. That will distract me. My scripture today is this, Hebrews 12, verse 1, a little bit of 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, pay attention to that part. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that so easily hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run the race marked out for us with perseverance, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. I don't know about you, but except for that little bit at the end, that is an exhausting scripture. We have to throw off all the stuff that hinders. That's our baggage. Ladies, do we have baggage? <laughs> a lot of baggage. We always are carrying this baggage, how we look, what people think about us, if we're doing a good job at work, if we're doing a good job at home, just baggage. We always have baggage. And sin, let's not get started on sin. I'm reminded of what Paul says, I don't do what I want to do, but I do do what I don't want to do. Say that a few times, think about it, you'll get it, okay? Paul said it better. Um, then we have to run, not walk, not stroll, not amble. We have to run a race, and it can't be the race we pick. It's got to be the race that God has marked out for us, and we can't quit. We have to run with perseverance. I am exhausted. But fortunately, we have the encouragement of fixing our eyes on Jesus, but also, at the beginning of the scripture, there's this short little interesting passage, and it says, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Now, to me, that's kind of a weird thing to say, because a cloud, I'm surrounded by lots of people who also walk the walk of Christ. 
But, you know, they're not in a cloud. I can poke them. They're real live and breathing. So I don't really get that cloud part. And to understand it, you have to go back and read Hebrews 11, where the writer of Hebrews writes about all these great icons of faith that have gone on. And it's called the by faith chapter. By faith, Abel offered the better sacrifice. By faith, Enoch walked with God. By faith, Noah built the ark. By faith, Moses. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Daniel. On and on until finally, there's a woman that they mention. By faith, Rahab the prostitute hid the spies of Joshua and saved her family. Now, I don't know about you ladies, but I'm thinking of all the women in the Bible, the only one you could think of to be a witness on this cloud is Rahab the prostitute. Surely there's someone else. But if you read the story, Rahab is so much more. Ladies, have you ever wished you could have a do-over? You know, you get up, you're going to do it this way, and then you don't do it that way, and you just wish you could do it all over. Do you ever wish you could just wipe the slate clean and start over? Maybe have a second chance? Rahab is the witness of second chances. So Rahab has a family, and she's a prostitute. That's how she supports herself. Don't you think many days she woke up and thought, how did I get here? How is my life this? But that's what she did to support her family. And then one day she's in terror, as is the whole city of Jericho, because Joshua and the army of Israelites are coming, and they're going to do what they've done to all these other cities. They're going to take over the city and kill every man, woman, and child, claiming the land for Israel from the heathens, the Canaanites. And she's scared. But the spies of Joshua are in the city. The city officials are onto them. Somehow they run into Rahab and she hides the spies. And in exchange, they say that you and your family will be spared. And the army comes, they take over the city. All those people die except for Rahab and her family. By her faith, she saved them. But there is so much more to this story. She goes on to live with the Israelites and to become a follower of Jehovah. So we read about her in Joshua. We read about Rahab in Hebrews. But where we don't always pick up is reading about her in Matthew, where we find out that she is the grandmother of Boaz, who is the father of Jesse, who's the father of David, who is the ancestor of the greatest king to ever be on the earth, Jesus Christ, from prostitute to great, 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 great granny of a king, ancestor, the royal lineage of Jesus. Talk about a do-over. Wow. Rahab is a great witness on that big cloud of witnesses. Whenever I think I need a second chance, I think about Rahab. She's on my cloud of witnesses. Now, I don't want to second guess the writer of Hebrews. I don't, but I'm going to anyway. I think there's people he left off the cloud, and I'm going to talk about them today, a few of women that might inspire us other women 
when we're feeling certain things, emotions. So ladies, have you ever felt alone? I don't mean lonely, I mean alone. Maybe you're single and you don't think there's ever gonna be someone for you. Maybe there's problems in your marriage and you don't wanna share that with anyone. Maybe you're having problems with your kids and you don't want anyone to know. Maybe you're the caregiver for someone who's ill and you just don't think you can do it anymore. But you don't want to admit that because you love that person. You just have these problems and you just don't feel like anyone understands and you're alone. All alone. So I know a woman who was alone. She's from Scripture. Luke 8, he tells us, she was the bleeding woman. And she bled for 12 years. So in modern medical terms, she probably had ovarian or uterine cancer or a cyst. And she bled all these years. But if that went on for 12 years without the medical support that we have today, she was really sick. Because she would have become anemic. And then she would have become very anemic and her joints would have swollen up. It would have been difficult for her to walk, to get out of bed, to move. She would have been in a lot of pain. When you have severe anemia, you develop severe dehydration. How did women get water then? They walked to the well. The poor woman could probably hardly get out of bed, get sores in her throat from a lack of fluids. She was sick. She felt bad. And then we read about her in Mark where he says she was sick, she bled for 12 years, and she was broke because he said she spent everything she had on the doctors and no one could help her. She's sick, she feels bad, she's broke, and she's alone because she's an outcast. The Jews had lots of laws and lots of rules. Jesus came, you know, to overcome those laws. Here's the law in Leviticus about a woman who's bleeding. When a woman has a discharge of blood for many days at a time, she will be unclean as long as she has the discharge. Any bed she lies on will be unclean. Any chair she sits on will be unclean. Anyone who touches them, the bed, the chair, the woman, anyone who touches these things will be unclean. If they touch them, they must take a bath and wash their clothes, and they will be unclean until evening. This woman had bled for 12 years. Can you imagine what it would be like to go 12 years without the touch of another human being? She bled for 12 years. She was unclean sinful in the eyes of Jewish law because she could never be made clean until she stopped bleeding for seven days and then took two pigeons for sacrifice by a priest. Sick, bleeding, in pain, broke, alone. So one day she hears about a man. Maybe she was trying to get to the well to get some of that water, you know. <clears throat> and she has hope because she's a Jew and supposedly he's the promised Messiah. And more than that, he makes lame men walk. He makes blind men see. He healed a woman. He touched unclean lepers and made them whole. 
So she works up a plan. And you know, in my head, I think she probably did this several times. She goes and she waits in a crowd for the right moment for Jesus to go by. Because she's a woman. Women did not go up to men in those days. Jewish men did not speak to Jewish women in public. It was unheard of. And you really couldn't go to a rabbi, a teacher. So she cooks up this plan. She's waiting in the crowd. And one day her moment comes. Jesus is walking by with the disciples. A bunch of people are around him. And she puts out her hand. And you know the story. She touches the robe. And she's healed. And don't you know, right at that moment, she could just feel health, feel her pain, ease, feel that she is well, and to know that her 12 years of suffering and loneliness and being an outcast are over. It worked. She's healed. Except Jesus stops and he says, who touched me? And don't you know everybody else stopped too and they're all looking around. But Peter, he knows the answer. Peter always knows everything. He says, hello, Lord, there's people all around you. Anybody could have touched you. We're in a hurry. Let's go. We got the synagogue ruler with us. Come on, we're leaving. And Jesus says, no, someone touched me. I know my power has gone out from me. And so he turns around. And don't you know that woman wanted to run away? Remember, if she touched anyone, they were unclean. She probably was hiding in the crowd, hoping to do this one thing unnoticed to get away. And instead, Jesus is calling her out in front of everyone. There's no escape. But something in the way that Jesus looked at her gave her the courage that she needed because the Bible says she went forward and in front of everyone, she told her story. And Jesus said to her, daughter, you have great faith. Go and be free from your suffering. Live in peace. I don't think Jesus was talking to the woman. I think he was talking to all the people in the crowd. This woman, this woman you've called unclean for 12 years, she's my daughter. This woman who has been suffering from pain and shame and being alone for 12 years, she's not going to suffer anymore at the hands of her illness or the law. She's going to live in peace. Whenever I feel alone, I think of the bleeding woman. And I remember that Jesus calls me daughter. She is definitely a witness on my cloud. Ladies, have you ever been lost? I'm not talking about the kind of loss that just happened to Steve and I not too long ago. We went on a trip to Italy, trip of a lifetime. We've been planning it for years. We rented a car, very aggressive drivers there. Steve's the driver and I'm the navigator. And we had a GPS, so she'd be saying, at the roundabout, in an English accent, at the roundabout, in 100 meters, turn right. And I'm also navigating with the map and my phone and looking at the GPS. I'm like, don't turn right now. Turn right up there. Not yet. Turn right up here. No, don't turn here. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, shoot. That was our turn. And then when you're the navigator, you hear the word you hate to hear more than anything else in the world. Recalculating. <laughs> That's not the kind of lost I'm talking about. 
I'm talking about being spiritually lost. So we have this race that we're supposed to run, and it's not a race of our own making. It's the race that God has marked out for us. But by cracky, if we can figure out what that race is, we don't know what God wants us to do. We don't know which direction we're supposed to be going. We're just kind of lost, and we don't know where to turn. Scripture tells us that we have a race marked out for us. It also says we have spiritual gifts. Maybe you don't know what your spiritual gifts are. You have them, but what are they? I don't know. Or this has happened to me. You think you have a spiritual gift, so you go out and use it. And you're a big, fat flop. <laughs> you're just lost. So I know a woman who was lost, and I think she was really lost. She's also from Scripture, and we only know just a little bit about her, but we know a lot about her. So in Luke 8, 1, the Scripture reads, After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, sharing the good news of the gospel. The twelve were with him, listen to this, ladies, and also some women who were sharing in the ministry of Jesus Christ out of their own means. Women were sharing in the ministry of Jesus. And it goes on to say that the women were cured of illnesses or demons, Mary Magdalene and Susanna, and Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the household manager of King Herod. Now, scholars tell us that just the way this was written years later, that the reader would immediately know who Cusa was. He was an important man, a name immediately recognizable. And Joanna, she's his wife. So at worst case, Cusa was a freed slave, and he's in charge of one palace, slaves, the royalty, their food, their clothes, the expenditures, maintenance of the palace, everything. That's at worst case. At best case, he was a respected Jew who was the CEO of Herod Enterprises. Seven palaces, the royal entourage moving from palace to palace, visitors from abroad, all those slaves, all those servants, all those expenditures. He was a very powerful man. And Joanna was his wife. As the household manager, he lived in a palace or he traveled with Herod from palace to palace. And I'm sure Joanna was there too. She didn't have a home. She just went along with Cusa. Because they lived in the palace and he was important, Joanna most likely had fine clothes that she didn't have to make. She didn't have a kitchen. She just ate what the other servants or really important people ate. She just didn't really have a purpose. And why do I think this? Well, what we know about Joanna is that she was there. She was cured of an illness or a demon. We don't know what. Maybe she had cancer eating her from the inside out. Maybe she had the beginning of dementia where every day she'd get up and a little piece of herself was slipping away. Maybe she had the demon of depression. She couldn't even get out of bed for the weight that would lay her down. We don't know. All we know is that she found Jesus and he healed her and she found her purpose in serving in his ministry. We don't know what she did. Maybe she was finally grinding up wheat for bread. Maybe she was cooking fish. Maybe she would go and pick up stones off the ground with the other women so Jesus and the disciples would have a place to sleep that wasn't so horrible. 
Maybe she watched other children's, other women's children while they went to listen to Jesus. Maybe she shared her own testimony, but she left her life in the palace, a life of ease, to live on the road and serve Jesus with the other women. And she stayed. We don't know this. She's not named, but I know she was at the crucifixion. I'm certain of it in my heart because she was there at the resurrection. The Bible tells us Joanna was one of the women who went to the grave to find the body of her Lord. She stayed the distance for the ministry, for the crucifixion, for the resurrection. She had a purpose. So ladies, when I'm feeling lost, when I don't know what my gifts are, I don't know what path is marked out for me, I think of Joanna, and I think of how she found her purpose by serving with other women. Joanna is definitely on my cloud. So ladies, have you ever been determined to get it done no matter what? You got a problem? You're going to solve it. You know, Rick, we just had this series on prayer, and I'm really disappointed he didn't spend a Sunday on the moms, the woman's prayer, not just the moms, all of us. That prayer goes something like this. It goes, Dear Lord, I have a day, and it is a day. And I have a problem, but I know the solution. And for my problem, I'm going to take care of steps one, two, and three. I need you to step in and do step four. That's yours. I'm giving that to you. Could you do it around 1030? And I'll take care of the rest. Thank you. Amen, amen, amen. Don't look at me like that. You've all prayed that prayer. And I'm not going to talk about some of the women who come to mind, those get-her-done women in Scripture. You know, I'm not going to talk about Martha. Now, we know Martha. Mary was doing the right thing because she was listening to Jesus. But don't we all kind of love Martha? Because she was like baking the bread and putting out the water so Jesus could wash his feet. And Jesus is coming, and her brother invited him and the 12 apostles and all these other people. It wasn't for her. There'd be no dinner. We love Martha. We can't help it. She just would get it done. I'm not going to talk about her. I'm not going to talk about the three wise women either. You know about them, right? They're in one of those books of the Bible that didn't make it into the Bible. They showed up two days after Jesus was born because they stopped and got directions, the wise women. And they didn't bring frankincense and myrrh. They brought casseroles and diapers. No, you don't, you've not read that book. Okay. I'm not going to talk about the wise women either. I'm going to talk about a mom. And the Bible calls her the Canaanite mom. She had a big problem. She wasn't a Jew, but she'd heard about this Jewish man who was the son of God, and he was doing all these miracles. And she had a problem, and he could fix it, and she was going to get it done because her little girl was sick. Scripture says her little girl was possessed by a demon. Now, I don't know what that means, possessed by a demon. Maybe she was little and perfect, and as she got older, she stopped talking, and you couldn't hold her, and she wouldn't make eye contact because she had the bondage of autism. Or maybe she went to sleep and had a high fever, and she survived the fever, but in the morning, she couldn't hear, and she lost her ability to speak. 
or maybe she really was possessed by a demon. I don't even know how to put something so terrible into words. But the Canaanite mom was going to take care of the problem. Now, we've already heard Jewish women can't approach a Jewish man. Well, she wasn't even a Jewish woman. Now, the Jews did not like some people. Romans, they hated the Romans. Oppressors, Samaritans, they hated the Samaritans, half-breeds, and they really didn't like Gentiles. And if they called a Gentile a Canaanite, that was the worst thing they could call them. They hated Canaanites, the lowest of the low. And this woman was a Canaanite. So how to get to this man who's going to help her? She can't approach him. She can't get close to him. So she just does what any mother starts to do. She starts following Jesus. She just starts hollering at him, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. My little girl is suffering terribly from demon possession. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. My little girl has a demon. Jesus, help me have mercy. And she follows, and she's just hollering and hollering and hollering. And finally, the disciples say something to Jesus. And do they say, you know, Jesus, this woman needs help? No. They say, Jesus, this woman won't quit following us. She's hollering at us. Send her away. Now, Scripture doesn't say it, but what they're also saying there is, she's not a Jew. Get rid of her. She's not one of us. But Jesus, he doesn't send her away. He's going to a house for lunch. So he just goes in the house for lunch, and the other disciples go with him, and all these other important Jewish people. And the woman, she just goes in the house too, and she's still hollering, Jesus, son of David, have mercy. My little girl has a demon. So we're going to come to a part of Scripture that I think at first reading is really hard to understand. You know, sometimes Jesus says things that are really hard to understand. He said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. He said to his disciples one day when they were arguing about their lunch, are you still so dull? He just said things, though, that sometimes we don't understand. He said to the young man, let the dead bury their dead. Follow me today. You can mourn for your father later. So this woman, she looks at Jesus and she says, Jesus, help me. My little girl is suffering. And Jesus says to the woman, I was sent only to the lost children of Israel. In other words, the Jews. I am here to fulfill prophecy. First, let the children eat all they want. First, it is not right for the dogs. It is not right to take the children's bread and give it to the dogs. Ouch. It is not right to take the children's bread, the children of Israel, to take their bread and give it to the dogs. Well, I think when that woman came in the room and Jesus met her eyes, I think she knew right then that Jesus could and would heal her little girl. So Jesus says this, and he says it for everyone to hear, and the woman steps up and she says, Yes, Lord, but 
Even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And Jesus looked at her and he said, Woman, you have great faith! Exclamation point! I don't think he was talking to the woman when he said that, because he says, first. In other words, the woman gets it. Are you listening, apostles? Are you listening, disciples? She understands, and he says to the woman, for such an answer as this, you may go. Your little girl, the demon, has left her. Do you understand, disciples, that she gets it? One crumb of the bread for Israel is enough to heal her daughter. It's enough for her and her daughter. It is enough for all of the Canaanites, all of the Gentiles. One scrap of my grace, one crumb of my mercy, it's enough. She gets it. She gets it. Whenever I have a problem I can't overcome, I think about a woman on my cloud. I think about the Canaanite mom, and I remember that a crumb of God's mercy, a scrap, is more than enough to solve any problems I have. So you know what? Since I'm rewriting Hebrews anyway, there's some people on my cloud that aren't even in the Bible. So especially when I was working. Ladies, if you're working, do you ever go home and you go home and you put on your comfy clothes? I like to call them my lounge pants. They're not pajamas, they're lounge pants. And you kind of undo your hair and your makeup and then you think, oh my gosh, there's something going on at church tonight. I really should go to that. But I'm kind of busy watching the reruns of Friends and I have on my lounge pants. When I feel like that, I think about my Aunt Marion who's been gone now for 18 years. She was like a second mom to me, and she taught me and her daughters, every one of us, that if the church doors are open, you can be in there serving or your rear ender better be in the pew. And that's how she said it, get your rear ender in the pew. So when I don't feel like coming, I think, well, what will Aunt Marion think if my rear ender's not in the pew and she's on that cloud of witnesses and she'll know. So I get up and I go. Aunt Marion's on my cloud. Sometimes do you not know how to pray or what to pray for? That happens to me all the time. I just don't know what to say to God. When that happens, I think of my sister-in-law, Sandy, who was a woman of powerful prayer. But at the end of her life, when she was doped up on morphine for the pain of her cancer, and she didn't even really know who you were, you could go in and she'd grab your hand and she'd say, Jesus, or maybe, help me, Jesus. I'm reminded of that scripture that says, when we don't know what to pray for, the Spirit intercedes on our behalf, Jesus. When I don't know how to pray, I think of my sister-in-law, Sandy. She's on my cloud of witnesses. And you know what? There's not all women on my cloud. There's a few men up there. Many of you know me, but many of you do not. It will be 20 years this week that our son Christopher died in an automobile accident. He was 23. 
He was driving up Interstate 35 to get his fiancée, Stacy. We were going to dinner that night because Stacy was graduating from college the next day. Big plans. We were going to talk about dinner, graduation, a wedding. But instead, he was hit by an intoxicated driver on Interstate 35. His life is over. And our lives were changed forever, forever. But when I think of Chris, I can't really think of that and be angry or be bitter because the worst thing that happened to Chris is he was a happy guy born in a family of grouchy people. That's us. We're all the grouches of the family, and he was the happy guy. He loved life. He loved his fiance. He loved the idea that he was getting married. And so whether he was wanted or not, he would follow Stacy around to go help pick out flowers for the wedding or napkins for the wedding. She's like, really? He's like, this is fun. Let's do this. He loved serving up here at his church. He was always up here doing something. He was working with the team on our first website because back then, we didn't have, 20 years ago, we didn't even have a website. He was learning how to do that. He worked with me with the children's choir. And I used to think he was great at the children's choir, but that we had the worst fourth and fifth grade boys ever. They were horrible. And then I learned that the instigator of all the fourth and fifth grade problems was Chris. But he had fun and they loved him. Chris and I used to sing in the choir also. And um, we would sit back then, the choir would sit up there the whole time. And so we'd sing and we'd sit down and Rick would get up and start preaching and I would get so mad because Chris would be over there talking and laughing and joking, but I didn't know how to fix the problem because he was talking and laughing and joking with Mather Owen, that would be Rick's dad. So he was just a happy guy and he loved the Lord. And I know this because of his testimony to other people. One day he told Judy Madden, my name is Chris Seacrest. I begin and I end with Christ. So we can't look back on his memory and think of how he loved us, his brother, his sister, his dad, me, his mom, his stepmom, he loved me like a mom. We can't look back on that memory of our life with him with anger or even with pain because it diminishes the joy of his memory and what he was. Chris is on my cloud of witness. When I need to feel grateful or joyful, I think about Christopher Seacrest. Therefore, we can throw off everything that entangles. We can get rid of the sin that trips us up. We can run, not walk, not amble. We can run the race that's marked out for us by God, and we won't quit. We will run with perseverance because we can fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, and on that great cloud of witnesses. There is a crowd on my cloud. I hope there's one on yours. Let's pray, shall we? Our gracious Lord, God, we give you thanks for that cloud of witnesses that you have given us all of those who are in the past, whose stories tell us about perseverance, whose stories tell us about your strength, about your peace, about your grace. 
God, we are thankful for Sherry to bringing this message to us today. Another witness of your incredible love and strength. And God, we know that the greatest witness of all is your son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus. God, we thank you for his gift that we receive today and that we receive every day. The gift of hope, the gift of grace, the gift of forgiveness, the gift, the gift that wipes away every sin that we have, the gift that allows us to know that there is nothing on this earth that is more powerful than your love, the gift that continues to make us known that he is present with us at every moment of every day. So God, may we run that race May we run it with perseverance. May we throw away everything, all the sins that entangle us and grasp a hold of your love. Ah, oh, that one day we might see you face to face and that we might hear you say, well done, my good and faithful servants. Let us tell our stories. Let us be your witness here on earth. In Jesus' most powerful name we pray. Amen. Go forward and have a great Mother's Day.